Coming up this week, we discuss the fallout from the Women's World Cup qualifier and the cruel consequences for Thailand and others. But first, a thank you to our Emerging Cricket patrons. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. A huge shout out to our latest patron, Kevin McGee. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Up next, an important week to talk about the Emerging Game. Well, it's been quite the week in the emerging cricket world. Welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Berzik and with me, as always, Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler. There is a lot to talk about. Not a particularly joyful week in the associate and emerging games, boys. First of all, how are we in the aftermath of everything that we've seen? We'll get to all of it in a minute, but Tim, how are you? Um... Look, I'm okay. Life's pretty good here. COVID cases at the border have, have not spread anywhere, so it means our borders will open when we get to 70% double vaxxed, which is pushing more and more into the future, which is a little bit frustrating with how much cricket we're trying to plan for next year. But yeah, as you've heavily alluded to, it's been a dark seven days in cricket, really. I'm, I'm sort of thinking back. I, I don't want to steal the thunder of Nick and his 35-minute, I, I don't know, it's got to be a eulogy, really, of, uh, of, of where <laughs> cricket is at this point. But um, yeah, not great. But there was a, a happy moment that happened in the last week. It was late at night and a lovely partner said to me, oh, why are you so angry? And I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm very rarely lost for words, but this time I was <laughs> because my partner's French and she's been speaking English for less than a year, but wow, she's amazing in it. But, you know, that's that's another story for another day, that, that Tim's podcast hour about life in Vanuatu. I'd listen to that. And cricket is new to her. She's watched one game. That was the last game of the season here. And so I couldn't really articulate I said, look i appreciate that you're, you're annoyed and this and this and i said that in a group of like-minded friends one's named nick the other one's daniel and uh nick said that's okay i can send a voice note in french so nick proceeded to record i, I actually don't know how long it was i think it may have been about six minutes in what i'm now told amazing french oh très bien nicholas <laughs> très bien i got all the credit i really appreciate you doing this for me getting your friend to explain it i understand it all now and he speaks amazing french so that was a that was the only upside with everything from the last week daniel how's your good self uh look i think i only laughed once this week when thinking or watching cricket and that was when poor Peter Saylor got hit in the Jats crackers fielding at cover in the Super League game. <laughs> it's always funny when it's not you, Peter. Good shout out to one of the uh, friends of the pod, Peter Saylor. Look, yeah, it's been a dark week and we'll get to the fallout and the aftermath of the Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier in a moment. But, t- uh, but Nick, outside of slipping into Charlotte's DMs with a, a voice memo. How have you been? God, that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, kind of like Tim said, it's in the real world, things are actually going pretty well. I've just got back from an art exhibition, which Brooklyn has some some stuff out, which was really nice this evening. But yeah, in, in the cricket world, it's all doom and gloom at the moment. Kind of balancing those two is it's kind of frustrating because Brooklyn's going along quite well and I, here I am being miserable because of uh, Thailand's women's team. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get one of these art? works as an nft though that's the real question <laughs> uh well 
Yeah, Brooklyn's not working for the ICC, so she's not selling NFTs. Did you get any sympathy from Brooklyn though? Um, no, she she likes the Thai women's team. She mm. she thinks they're um you know like everyone does, and I mean I'm sure we'll get into this, but they're a great story for cricket, and um yeah, she she felt bad for them. Transcending cricket in a way, in spite of the powers that be in cricket, which we'll talk about, I suppose, right now. But first of all, Nick, une magnifique traduction appréciée de tout. Uh, <laughs> So that's just that's just for you and Charlotte. Anyway, I'm not allowed to learn French. Okay, I, I'm only allowed to learn Bislama while she learns English. You should both learn Bislama together and and like only communicate in Bish- and then like practice your Bislama. It is. It's the lingua franca of, of Vanuatu. That would make sense. But uh, reportedly, if you're learning English or it's not your strongest language, Bislama is terrible for it because it brings it down. So whilst it's basically you know English words structured like French, apparently because if it's pigeon come Creole nature, it's uh, it is not good if you're trying to learn English. So that's the only excuse that... Yeah, I can I'm, see it would be confusing yeah. to be learning two at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I struggle enough with one. So, yeah, I appreciate the French, Daniel. Maybe we should get on because uh, there's a lot to talk about. Yes. There is, uh, as Gideon Haig would call it, a 500-pound gorilla in the room. And looking at the Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier, had quite a controversial end due to COVID, but with all of the decision-making from the power brokers of cricket, uh, in its aftermath, we, we saw quite a lot of fallout from it. Let's just begin with the actual tournament itself and look to Group B in the nine-team tournament with Papua New Guinea pulling out due to COVID in their camp before departing Port Moresby. Group A... The West Indies and Sri Lanka only played a match each. Ireland and the Netherlands played two. There were positive COVID cases in the Sri Lankan camp. That's before we had the cancellation in the first place. But looking to Group B, Thailand were leading the group, played four matches, won three of them, losing just the one. Bangladesh, Pakistan, Zimbabwe, and the USA all playing three games. Bangladesh and Pakistan winning two of their matches, Zimbabwe winning one. The tournament was cut short due to COVID and everything going on with the Omicron variant. And I know we've talked a lot of languages so far in this podcast, but geez, my Greek alphabet's getting better by the month. Um, <laughs> to look at the official statement from the ICC with the announcement and, and everything that went with that, uh, Quote, the International Cricket Council today announced that the ICC Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier 2021 in Harare has been called off due to the introduction of travel restrictions from a number of African countries, including the host countries in Zimbabwe, following the breakout of a new COVID-19 variant in Southern Africa. The decision was taken during the preliminary league phase of the nine-team tournament that was to decide the final three qualifiers for the ICC Women's Cricket World Cup 2022 to be played in New Zealand as well as two additional teams for the next cycle of the ICC Women's Championship. The qualifiers will now be decided according to the team's ranking as detailed in the tournament playing conditions. And that sentence alone has quite a lot of significance and we will talk about it in great detail. But can you continue the quote? Therefore, Bangladesh, Pakistan and the West Indies will now progress to the event in New Zealand. We can go in a whole host of directions here, boys. But that brings up quite a few interesting points. One is that, well, it's impossible for teams in this tournament to gain any ranking points because they don't have one-day international status. The matches at the tournament were originally given one-day international status, the teams that didn't have it in the first place, only to be taken away retrospectively. And then when the playing conditions were brought up, we read the playing conditions and nothing was included in that to suggest what they're saying is the playing conditions being applied in the cancellation. And we've heard in the aftermath 
that Thailand were never handed the playing conditions, one that didn't state these facts in the first place, but weren't given it at all. So, Nick, I'm giving you the new ball here uh, because you've, you're coming off the long run and you know what to do with this. And the breeze is behind you, my friend. <laughs> uh, you're running downhill. There's a number 11 on strike. And the pitch is green. Who's the number 11? Is that is that Chris Tetley here? or? <laughs> oh, jeez. We could, we could come up with a couple of names at the moment, I think. But... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, well, look, as it's take a breath. It's kind of like um, I'm going to go with another Simpsons reference here to to uh, speak your language. Oh yes, we got him. Uh, it's it's like that episode where Mr. Burns goes for the medical checkup and and all the diseases are trying to cram in at once, but it's it's perfectly balanced, and that's that's the level of stuff ups from the ICC. They're all. I don't even know where to start with them. You have every disease. There's just so many. (laughs) Um, I I went to bed that night when when we heard that, just feeling really sad. And and it was like Scotland in in 2018 when they missed out due to the rain and that that poor decision with the LBW. Paul Wilson. Yeah, poor Shocker Wilson. But, you know, at, at least the ICC didn't deliberately make it rain and they didn't... That that was just a mistake from a human being. But, oh, first of all, okay, why are they so keen to been the whole tournament, right? This is the first thing. They said, you know, there was a very cursory mention of, oh, they've explored other options, but it was impossible. But there's still a bit of time. There's three months before the Women's World Cup starts, which is a decent amount of time to assess, you know, how serious the virus is before the tournament starts. They could do a lot of things in terms of trying to get a result on the field, but they've just gone the laziest absolute cheapest least effort option and that's going by rankings and it feels like they've got very used to using the rankings over the whole pandemic there's been a lot of things that have been cancelled or or sort of curtailed and they've got oh we'll just use the rankings we'll just use the rankings we'll just use the rankings so we talked last week literally last week about how much of an issue it is to be using the rankings to determine qualification for things and here is another example of why it's so much of a problem but so that's the first thing is just the fact that they've been to the whole tournament without making much of an effort to to get it going you know why why not play a preliminary round you know finish the tournament ahead of the world cup in new zealand we saw that works pretty well uh, at the T20 World Cup, you know, organisationally, it's not that difficult to bring in a couple of extra teams, you know, a, a week or two early. How many games were left? Maybe about 12 or 13 games were left in the whole tournament, which y- you could play that in a week, less even, four or five days if you schedule it smartly. In terms of the resources needed to finish the tournament, I don't think it would be that difficult. And even if they don't finish the tournament, okay, fine, determine the spots for the World Cup based on rankings, but then have a mini playoff uh, with the rest of the teams to try and determine who goes through to the women's championships which you know we can talk about how important that would be for for Thailand or or indeed Ireland you know this isn't to be sledging Ireland who got through on rankings but just the transformative nature of being in that women's championship or you, you you could use win percentage or you could use a combination of things where you could have a you know Thailand who were guaranteed to progress to the second round in the super sixes and in that super sixes the top 5 go through to the women's championship so they were a very good shot especially with you know they were guaranteed of having at least two points carried forward potentially four depending on other results in the group so they were a very good shout of ending in the top 5 so let's go something along the lines of Ireland were the last ranked team they were 10th in in the rankings uh, in the cutoff period, so why not have a direct, just a direct playoff against Thailand and Ireland, and you know, then at least you're getting something done on the field. Or if you must go on rankings, 
actually award ODI status to the matches in the tournament and, and then count those and base it on the rankings at the end of the tournament, like they did with the T20 World Cup, based it on the rankings at the end of the tournament. There's a lot of things they could have done, but they just went with the, the absolute laziest option. And so that's the first problem. Yeah, so uh, the quote from the ICC head of events, Chris Tetley, just looking at those tweets now, uh, ICC Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier in Zimbabwe abandoned amid COVID-related uncertainty, really disappointed to have to take this decision. He links the story that we're citing and, and quoting and then responds to a number of people who get in touch, uh, Bertus Young being one of them. Bertus asks, can you clarify how the decision was arrived at? The release cites the playing conditions, but the playing conditions make no mentions of rankings. In fact, they seem to suggest it ought to be based on points. Chris Tetley replies, based on previous agreement to use rankings if the event could not be played. I'll go back to his actual statement in the media release. Quote, We are incredibly disappointed to have to cancel the remainder of the event, but with the travel restrictions from a number of African countries being imposed at such short notice, there was a serious risk that teams would be unable to return home. We have explored a number of options to allow us to complete the event, but it isn't feasible, and we will fly the teams out of Zimbabwe as soon as possible. Bangladesh, Pakistan, and the West Indies will now qualify for the ICC Women's World Cup 2022 by virtue of their rankings, while Sri Lanka and Ireland will also join them in the next cycle of the ICC Women's Championship. Again, that fails to mention that for a lot of these teams, even beating full members is not enough from a ranking standpoint because the matches don't go towards said rankings. And we've had the Irish who have played one-day internationals in this cycle because they are full members got spanked by New Zealand, but that's infinitely better than someone like Thailand who can beat full members and have beaten full members only for those matches not to count. And that's where a lot of the controversy stems from. Again, talking to people based in the Thailand setup, they had no prior knowledge of, of what was happening. They haven't been handed the playing conditions. We saw the tweet posted by Natick and Chanton that had every single player of the squad with the logo for the Women's World Cup on as the wallpaper that's been their motivation, inspiration, and their ultimate goal for all of this time. And again, looking at, at what's been done here, he mentions the ICC trying to get the teams out as quickly as possible. But to bring it back to something else that's happening in the same region, it sounds as if Oman's Pankaj Kimji was the one that helped get everyone out as well. So even on that front, things haven't really been done in the best possible way. I know logistically there's probably a lot of hurdles regarding all of that, but I mean, either way, there just seems to be more questions that are being asked than there are being answered. And for us, it's important that the point continues to be made because in times gone by, and and we know that there are very vocal people around in the associate community that will continue to speak up about this and have when there have been decisions made like this in the past, but I don't think we've ever seen this much of a response in the last week in comparison to events gone by. It seems as if everyone around has sort of picked up on what's going on. Mainstream media has picked it up a little bit, kind of using the Thailand angle for their stories. I don't want to say it's a positive because it's not, but there has been a more vocal response in regards to this event than there have been in events gone past. Yeah, and you mentioned that. I think shout out to our good friend Andrew Nixon who made his debut on The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Like, I think that is 
well, between that podcast and the great cricketer, number one podcast, cricket podcast in the world. So, you know, to your point exactly that it's it's got that cut through and we know Adam and Jeff love the emerging game and, you know, I think their podcast interviewing the, the, the Thai team during the World Cup was amazing with uh, multiple languages being spoken and the, the dubbing, it was probably one of my favourites of theirs. So that, that's good and great for Andrew to kind of spread his wings. And, and he that... couldn't find a more outspoken person to talk about it as well, just quietly. No, he needs someone to, you know, with a little bit of runway and the poor fellas had operations on both his legs and probably wouldn't wouldn't be doing a lot of running you know th- this is the kind of runway he needed but uh i think you're right and i i sort of think in my world it's kind of like pre-associate cricket for me before i was really introduced to the world of, of am sport am cricket you know the emerging cricket world was when the 10 team event for 2015 was announced and there was condemnation across the Twitterverse or, you know, whatever Twitter was in those those early days and, and they ended up reversing the decision. But I think the flip side now, and which is a positive, is that we're talking about women's cricket here and it's still got people's attention and they can see how important it is. And I know that no one's ever heard this from us before, but the fact that Thailand to us, to me, epitomise the magical spirit of cricket. You know, you want to know what that is to to go watch them and and people appreciate them for exactly who they are as humans and, and as cricketers. The fact that people are talking about it is good, but that's where that's where the good stuff ends. You know, listening to Nick and and knowing how much more there still is to say, but for everything that's happened, and you mentioned it there on the way through that they retrospectively took away ODI status. And to bring context to that, you know, after the 2018 men's cricket world cup qualifier when it was still mixed status they brought out a release saying that all future world cup qualifiers will be single status and will reflect the status of the the global event that they're playing for so you know fast forward three years later we go into a women's world cup qualifier a day after or the day of the icc announcing their new growth strategy which i would have to dub a female forward growth strategy and, and rightfully so you know we talk about it we write about it, we, we the, the opportunity for women in cricket is amazing <laughs> but that you know that's within 24 hours of it being announced matches that were one day internationals on the icc's own website and the teams at a global event were tweeting about how proud they were to debut yeah. One Day Internationals for their country in America to talk about being the 21st country to play it. And the only way that we knew about it was from journalists working for the event who had to contact the ICC to get the official word, which came back a very personalityless <laughs> little blurb that only with games of two teams that had ODI status before the event and in this context it would be four members only, would have one day international status, which basically went against everything of an announcement from the ICC in 2018 that we thought finally, and I, I want to get excited about it because it's one of the few things to get excited about at the moment, that finally we're going to have events that have the same status. You know, the 2019 Men's T20 World Cup, we saw all teams have T20I status, and admittedly by then all countries had T20I status, but it, it, that was good to see. And here we go into this event in Zimbabwe. We're going to have four games on in a day, and we'll get back to that scheduling, but that's another point we need to get to. Well, it'd be good if we could have watched all four games in a day, because, but you couldn't, because <laughs> if you signed in on ICC.tv, you could only watch one game at a time. You couldn't have four different screens. and only allow you to watch one. But if you want to watch... To watch all of them, sorry, some of them that had ODI status actually didn't. So I think already at that point, it was almost like not so much of a writing for a fall. You could almost feel the storm building, couldn't you? That something's not, not quite right here. And then the 
the weather's not great, the stream's not good, and then everything then transpires as we've talked about. But I just want to come back to that point of, of, of status that, you know, I think it's on our manifesto, it's on our about page of how, you know, why we're called emerging cricket and not associate cricket is because associate cricket itself establishes status and we're not about status it's about equality and opportunity and then to see that happen right in front of our faces the same day that a strategy comes out about growing the women's game and then this happens was it was unbelievable but i but then i feel like I, you know and press the next button to go to the next chapter well nick will talk about the next part of the tournament well, you mentioned the uh, the decision to go to a 10-team World Cup and, you know, expanding uh, the women's game and, and putting that at the centre of their growth strategy. Well, why are the ICC so set on having such a tiny pathway for their teams? That's All of the problems really stem from the fact that there's only eight spots in the World Cup and 10 in the women's championship. In 1997, the women's World Cup had 11 teams and, and here we are with eight, 25 years later. It's, it's kind of absurd, really. And, you know, what's the obstacle from okay let's say you want to do 12 teams in the women's championship add Zimbabwe and Thailand why not do two conferences of six teams each and if the ICC is worried about the money that's 15 series per conference for a total of 30 rather than the 45 series they've got to subsidize in the 10 team round robin format anyway so if you do that the ICC can probably save some coin and provide a pathway to the teams that have missed out and right some of the injustice that they've created so ultimately the real problem it's not about Thailand should have got there instead of Ireland it's why couldn't they both have these opportunities to play you know a number of series over a couple of years because this is the thing for, for 50 over cricket for women the women's world cup and the women's championship are the only game in town they don't play any other 50 over cricket they don't get any other 50 over cricket so if you're a thailand trying to move up in the cricketing world and you miss out you know you miss your chance once every four years you've got nothing for the whole cycle and that's the real problem is the fact that there's so little cricket outside this and and that there's such a tiny little pathway for these teams that are trying to break through and as we saw with thailand they beat two full members clearly they're good enough to be in the championship you know why not do this why not expand the pathway it's it's low-hanging fruit for the icc or even you could run it as a division six and six with promotion and relegation Let's say you've got Australia, India, England, South Africa, New Zealand, West Indies, and then Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Ireland, Thailand, Zimbabwe. We all know Afghanistan's not going to join in anytime soon. So there's your 12 teams. There's your two divisions. Go from there. If anyone's interested in some alternative formats, they should check out Russell Degnan's Twitter feed, um, Idle Summers, where he puts forward some interesting ideas around running more short cycles with smaller groups so that you have more upward mobility and that instead of being out in the cold for, you know, three, four years, if you miss your one chance, if you miss qualification for one thing, you have some cricket to look forward to. You have to mention Sri Lanka hadn't played an international women's fixture in a ridiculous amount of time. I can't remember the number of days exactly, but it shows you that the system was in a poor state before all of this, let alone during and after. They're not just a new full member rolling up to a game of cricket. You know, They're one of the strongest teams in world cricket. Jamari Adepadu's in terms of batting in the full member world, probably in the top 10 players in that regard. And it's not as if there's never been late changes made for the sake of global tournaments. 1992 and the Men's Cricket World Cup, they accommodated to re-include 
South Africa to play in it post-apartheid, right? Mm. So it's not as if it's out of the realms of possibility or we don't have any precedent to something being changed in extraordinary circumstances. Like a global pandemic, you would think in all of the exceptional circumstances, that would be one of them. And we know what Thailand brings to the tournament. We know Thailand can compete at this level. Is it a big deal that everyone has to play one more game at the tournament to accommodate another team from... A logistical standpoint, from a geographical standpoint, grounds, etc. We know it's not easy, but it's always possible. Well, this is it. You know, why not? I mean, look, what is the ICC's purpose? We might get into this in a bit later on, but is the ICC a body that is tasked with organising cricket tournaments? If so, why are they cancelling cricket tournaments and just using ranking? Why bother having tournaments if you're just going to use rankings? And now I think is the time to focus on the rankings decision. You mentioned Sri Lanka didn't play any cricket for over a year, I think. Ireland, in that the whole rankings period that they used to determine qualification, they played three one-day internationals back in 2018 where they lost by 300 runs in each one against New Zealand. So, again, this is not a criticism of Ireland. I'm not saying that Ireland should be kicked to the curb because they lost three games three years ago. My point is that the ODI rankings being used as a basis for a decision is completely absurd when the only reason Ireland is on the rankings is because they got hammered three times three years ago. If they hadn't played those games... What do they even use to make the decision? It couldn't be rankings because then you'd only have nine teams. And it's Kafka-esque, really, to think about... To be allowed to qualify, you need to have an ODI ranking. But to have an ODI ranking, you need to have ODI status. But to get ODI status, you need to qualify. You can't win. But to qualify, you need to have... It's this circular loop of, of... absurdity and not only are thailand literally not allowed to play one day internationals you know thus unable to get an odi ranking the icc went out of their way to withdraw status from the tournament when they'd previously decided that it would have status it's just insanity and it sort of shows a broader malaise with the organization and the institution of the icc and that no one in the icc really seems to know what anyone else there is doing you know they, they put out this statement in 2018 because having the mixed status at the qualifier back then they said was confusing for fans and, and didn't really make sense and you know <laughs> that's true <laughs> it's, it's silly to have some matches be list a and some matches be odis and then it seems like they just forgot about that or you know whoever put that press release out maybe moved on or, or they didn't tell anyone or, or I don't know what's going on but clearly there's no coherence there and the decision making is nobody knows you know the left hand doesn't know right, what the right hand's doing basically well wow. to tie it together you know within the last two weeks we've lamented the binning of the Super League and using rankings for the men's 50 over World Cup like rankings really but at least they've got a pathway as in the men have and there's 20 one-day international teams and a World Cup of 14. And that's the thing about the women as well. You know, where are the the leagues being produced for women's 50-over cricket or more frequent T20 international cricket? You know, we talk about the increase in the numbers of teams in the Women's World Cups, but that was only after they reduced them and had more tournaments but with fewer teams overall and fewer chances for associate members to to make it and it just shows again how but how the approaches to men's and women's cricket are just not up to scratch and yep okay the ICC have put out a new global growth strategy literally days ago to say that it's focusing on the growth of, of women's cricket great next week you know you haven't gone out and and had the bidding for the women's world cups yet you know no one has said that they can only host so many grounds and so many teams increase the numbers of teams in the women's world cups now you know go to 16 20 
team T20 World Cup. You know, you're not going to hurt the game. You're only going to grow it. You know, look at this exposure that the game is getting through Thailand, through Brazil, through all these other teams. Look how well the UAE are playing. You know, not so much they've come from nowhere, but within the last five years, how, how much improvement we've seen seen there. Stop talking or saying that we need to do it or we need a working party or, we, you know, we're going to get a women's cricket committee now that's focused, you know, side by side with the men. Just do it because this is, this is how you're going to grow the game by providing these opportunities. But just as important as what we're annoyed about is the fact that you just pulled the drawbridge up underneath the Men's World Cup and the potential of men's associate teams and emerging teams not getting their experience against the best teams in the world until a global event, and that's not going to help anyone. It's the same with the women. You know, where are the global leagues that sit behind these events? You know, we've talked about the Women's ODI Championship, but it's, it's almost like it's back to the future. You know, these are conversations that we're having... <laughs> or at least thinking about a decade ago about the men's side. And it's just, look, I can only hope there's still opportunity for things to change here. But one thing that the ICC could do is make the decision to increase the number of teams in the Women's World Cups for the next cycle. Yeah, a lot of the chat over the last however long in terms of global event formats has been centred on men's cricket. But I remember looking before this qualifier had actually started and thinking to myself, this has the potential of being one of the most competitive tournaments in the qualifiers history and whoever goes through will be of some sort of a potent challenge for the teams who have already qualified. I think this is the fifth edition of the Women's World Cup qualifier. The first one was the old IWCC trophy when there was still a Women's Career Council. And just thinking about that now again, is it almost worth going down that direction of the IWCC once more? Because there's a lot of talk about global growth but now I think more than ever, there probably should be an organization that works in parallel specifically for the women's game because we've seen a number of successful stories over the past few years in our domain. Brazil, Thailand, as, as you've mentioned, Again, UAE, these are all countries that have put together their own cricket in their own national governing bodies, in their own systems, and flourished doing everything for themselves without really using the resources that the ICC have given them. Brazil have just gone to full-time contracts for women's cricketers, which is unheard of two, three, four, five years ago. And they've done it with everything against them. Nothing, there's been no quarter given to them. It just makes me wonder, you know, if there was an actual body or part of the ICC which actively works exclusively for the women's game, if we would be any further. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And some people have you know, made that comment. And I mentioned the 1997 World Cup. That was under the, um, when they used to have a separate women's cricket council. Yeah. And they had more teams because they were more interested in growing the game. And yeah, quite possibly being subsumed into the ICC has helped some of the higher ranked teams, um, certainly. Australia and England in, in terms of their professionalism and, and the connection and, and the level pegging that they try and put the women's and the men's games on and, and that's great but in terms of teams down the bottom of the pile I don't know how much it's actually helped being part of the ICC and you know as as you as Tim mentioned this is this is like less than a week after they've put out this glossy document saying that they want women to be at the center of their strategy and you know that's fine and especially with Thailand you know we've seen them use a lot of footage of the Thai team and and everyone loves watching the Thai team and and you know that documentary of the 2020 Women's World Cup featured Thailand prominently because they're such a great story so it's it's ironic i guess or or i mean certainly uh, very disappointing that Thailand are being 
kind of used for PR purposes by the ICC in this way. But then when it comes to decisions like this, they get just absolutely shafted based on based on status, based on the, the, an administrative category saying that you are, you're not allowed to play ODIs, therefore you're not allowed to qualify. It's absurd. And Thailand... You know, you talked about Brazil uh, putting through their women's contracts and, and doing that out of off their own bat. Thailand did everything right ahead of this tournament. They paid out of their own pocket yeah, for a preparation tour to South Africa and Zimbabwe. They performed very well on the field in those matches. And then, you know, that preparation clearly helped them because in the qualifier, they, they performed on the field in the matches that counted, in the matches that had so much riding on them. And then actually they get told, you know what? These matches don't count for anything. You're out. Goodbye. See you in four years. It's just disgusting. And I mean, <laughs> I guess now's a good time to, to talk about the kind of technical problems that Tim uh, alluded to with the streams and, and the scheduling and, and various other problems. What is going on with the tournament being organized so badly? It's just, it's unfathomable, really. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Well, it's probably worth bringing up the stream here too and just the way that the tournament was formatted where we had matches on day one, no matches on day two and then a host of games from both groups on day three. Again, it it took a little while for me to try and fathom what was going on there but I've got it on pretty good authority that the internet connection at, at least one of the grounds, probably two, was not fast enough to hold a stream. It just it, it wasn't capable of doing the bare minimum of what it was supposed to do and again you've got to ask more questions was this looked at before the tournament started i'm guessing not because we probably wouldn't have had this result but if you're also promising all four matches are to be streamed and then realizing that one of the grounds isn't good enough to host the streams why do you continue to advertise it in the hope that it miraculously works the second or the third time because it's false advertising at that point isn't it yeah, I'd, I'm at a loss. You know, you've got nine teams in the the event, so the maximum on any one day you can have four matches, <laughs> but you don't do that because you've got two groups. <laughs> so when you're trying to broadcast cricket, you're thinking cameras, camera operators, uh, cost to internet, cost to broadcast. The fact they're using internet and not satellite vans again probably tells you as much as you need to know but you're having to when was the last time any cricket event that was broadcast had four games on it the one day i don't think it has ever happened before <laughs> so we've seen icc.tv and the, the streaming of icc pathway events in the last 12 months we've talked about it we've talked about the quality of the stream we talked about the fact that this is a global event a world cup qualifier coming up and hoping that the production values are going to be higher you know maybe not at the same level of what the men's t20 world cup qualifiers were i.e broadcast level and only one game on at once that was being broadcast but well i'm i'm now quoting nick and saying i don't know where to start you know if you want to watch more than one game when there are four on at the same time but you need to watch it with a login but you can only watch one at a time on that particular login. I think that tells you that something's not not quite right. You know, there is no match center. There is no table. There are no highlights. There, As soon as the game finishes, it disappears off the app. This is a global tournament. This is a global event. It's a Women's World Cup qualifier. And we are hoping. We know that the product the ICC has is, is sound. All it needs is the platform and the promotion and the, the audience will come. You know, if you, if you build it, 
they will come. And I know the line is he will come, but you know, that's we're not going to get too much into Kevin Costner and Field of Dreams <laughs> references because you know we're, we're, we're on a target. Here. They don't like that though. And it's not a. T- there are people who want to make this work. There are people who obviously want to make it work, and we are trying to be part of the solution and and, and not the problem. <laughs> but when when you're talking to your your blue in the face about Thai cricket, which I know the three of us do, and I'm hoping hundreds and thousands of people listening to us now do the same thing. It's like, why are you interested in emerging cricket? Thai cricket. Thai women's cricket should be at the top of your list or in or in the top three, but not on rankings. No. Anyway, we'll move on from that. <laughs> so, I, look, it, and again, let's see the positive out of this in that how bad it was, internet, and again, I've got to say quality of commentary and lack of knowledge from those commentators was an, an, another challenge again but if you're holding an event like this in you know a place like Zimbabwe that doesn't have recent history of broadcasting for international create games that well nobody does but at once and to supply the commentators so you know, how many commentators they fly in versus the, the, the local talent that they needed you know, that's putting a lot of pressure on on a local organizing committee so I'm just hoping it's the first and last time we see that many games of the tournament you know eight of nine teams playing on the same day and then no teams playing. Talking about the scheduling, but then what that means is when this happens, whether it's rain or COVID-related issues, it means that both groups aren't on a level pegging. Maybe if both groups had played the same number of games, you could have been in a position to consider running with the points as achieved or or moving on from there. It means it's all lopsided. So that's, that's another conversation altogether. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we did hear a lot of uh, stories about some of the, the technical problems going on and, and generators being an issue and not having enough people working and, and you know, some, some sort of funny things causing power outages and, and various other issues, which, you know, th- th- these things happen, but these things keep happening. And, and as you said, Tim, with four games on at once, that means you need, you know, let, let's say instead of doing four games at once, you do two games a day. That way you're not doubling up on camera operators, you're not doubling up on commentators, you're not doubling up on other facilities, you're not doubling up on even, you know, the pitches that need to be prepared. Umpires, scorers. Yeah, exactly. All of the people that you need to put on a tournament like this, instead of having to have, you know, enough staff to run four matches, the the COVID protocol officers, all of this stuff, you know, instead of having four matches worth of that, you could just do two per day and... (laughs) Surely that would save some money and it would certainly save some logistical effort. So, yeah, just I I don't know who's making these decisions and I don't know why they're making these decisions. And it's just it's all very uh, ad hoc. And, you know, let's let's talk about Sri Lanka, for example. They they tested positive. Uh, I think it was three players tested positive for coronavirus before their first game. We were told they were isolating and that no one else was infected. And then a couple of days later, six positive tests came out of the camp. Well, Clearly, they weren't isolating well enough or, or they'd infected, you know, what's going on with that? Why do you, if three players in a team test positive, you can't just roll on the tournament like nothing's happening. And then, yeah, it, it's it's just the kind of organizational problems that keep cropping up and keep cropping up. And, you know, who's who's organizing this? Who's, who's providing the oversight? Who's going to, you know, who's accountable for this? I just... I don't see the accountability. Are they going to do a review? Are they going to try and make maybe change their systems or find better staff? Or I don't know because it's as it is. It was even if we leave aside the Thailand decision and and the you know going on rankings problem, it was probably one of the worst tournaments 
that the ICC has ever run. And at least in terms of televised ones, just with so many, all the technical problems. And, you know, it is great that they're trying to broadcast these matches, but they're just not doing it in a satisfactory manner, really. If you're trying to watch these games and you're just getting, uh, you know, technical problems and you can't watch any of the streams and then you get five minutes of play and then another hour of technical problems, you're going to be put off. It's not going to attract people to the game. And what what is the purpose of this? It's to get people following and watching and enjoying and playing cricket. Look, we did want to talk about some other things tonight, Nick, but I think it's probably fair of myself and, and Tim to kind of give you the final word on things that have happened here in Zimbabwe. Well, I mean, we've talked about a lot of specific problems, but I think they all kind of, um, there's an overarching issue really. And, and I sort of touched on it before that no one really knows what anyone else is doing and there's no coherent vision. It just gives an impression that no one at the organization has any idea why they're even there. And this isn't, a rhetorical question what is the purpose of the ICC what why do they exist you know what are they trying to achieve what is their you know guiding mission what is their vision statement i just don't think there is one they're just kind of a bunch of people doing a bunch of random things and kind of muddling along and it's just they've lost so many senior staff over the last few years and and the development side's been really you know hollowed out in terms of experience and there's no institutional memory left the the culture's kind of i mean you know we talk about someone like Richard Doan who you know how much experience did he have and you know various other people who've left they've probably lost over a century of combined experience or more even in in terms of people who've been committed and, and, and have built up a, a wealth of knowledge about how to grow the game. And if you asked a bunch of ICC employees, why are you here? What are you trying to achieve? What would the answer be? I don't think there would be a coherent answer. It's, it's There's just no... <laughs> one, one little story that kind of highlights this is we saw ICC Europe advertising the fact that they've got the ashes on ICC TV. Well, okay... Why are they not advertising the ongoing ICC event that they're running instead of a bilateral series between two full members? That's the first question. You know, looking at the ICC's Twitter feed, this gets you know one mention, and ninety percent of it is bilateral test matches or bilateral other ma- between full members. And yeah, okay, those matches are going to be more popular, but. The ICC's own product is... They are part of the World Test Championship, to be fair. That's true. Yeah, okay. I'll concede that. But, the I mean, the ICC's product is international cricket and international cricket tournaments specifically. And the ICC's running this qualifying tournament ostensibly because they're committed to growing women's cricket and growing the sport. And they're just not advertising it. They're not showing it. And ICC Europe... What is the point of ICC Europe acting as a streaming service for Cricket Australia in the European market. Like, what are they doing? This isn't development work. This is some random brain fart of an idea and they've just gone with it. And is it because nobody else at the ICC remembers that there is an European office and they're just kind of, (laughs) there's no oversight or I just don't get it. You know, how is this fitting into the overall vision of growing cricket in the continent. It's not. It's it's just a random idea that someone's had. Oh, let's show the ashes on ICC TV. Why? What how is that within your scope as a development officer? It's absurd. And and this is I mean, I don't want to make too big of a deal of it because it's just one small thing, but it it just shows the overall institutional dysfunction, I guess, that really what is the ICC doing that nobody can I I, I don't I can't think of an answer for that. What you know, are they are they an events management company? But then if they are an events management company, why are they subcontracting so much of their event management? Like, they've just been completely hollowed out. They're just 
don't exist in any meaningful sense. It's it's bizarre. There's the ICC label gets put on a bunch of things, but the ICC as an entity kind of it's it's a phantom. I find it strange that you know on that point of the, of the ashes, you know, I completely agree about the advertising. And you open up ICC.tv and you expect to be able to watch the most recent game, the live game, easily, and you've got to scroll past you know the ad for the ashes. And the Ashes was streamed for free into a number of these markets the last few series. And people were able to watch it. You know, the, I remember someone posted that the ECB's live stream is still available on YouTube in, in various markets. I, I don't understand how expanding the game and getting to as many people as possible by charging people in those countries is, is, is going to help grow the footprint of, of, of the sport. Well, I think we all agree that the way it's highlighted on ICC TV was, was not really in, in step with you know highlighting the pathway events. But I, I just don't get the idea of of charging for it. This should be as easy as possible. The, the barrier to entry should be low. And that not, we haven't even got to the to the functionality or the, the UX of the app. You know, that's another conversation which we, we've touched on, but hopefully it's something that in, in Review Town, as we come to the end of the year, is something that's looked at that we need to invest in. But to your point there, Nick, as, as well, is that the within the ICC's control or is that done by somebody else that means it's got to go through a tender process or who knows because this is a multi-year deal so he's hoping that we can we can step forward there and you know i i think we we want it to work i think the the, the hundreds of thousands of fans of, of of the emerging game who want to watch it we want it to work so you know get us involved you know i you know and to a point or there'll be a day where we'll all be happy to pay for it but at the moment today is not that day because of what's being served up and i mean that in the truest sense not in the there's no tone I, I mum i promise there's no tone but what's being served to us is not is not worthy of any subscription cost and before we start charging people for the ashes and it's gonna be interesting how they do that whether again it's just a straight stream and once it finishes it drops off but yeah i think that's i know you're supposed to be having the last word there but i just thought i'd mention that as, as you finished off because the whole idea of your know, icc tv being a subscription service you know that to, to me that's sort of confusing how icc tv was launched as it being a platform for the icc's pathway events and to really raise the profile of the game uh, beyond what is normally picked up by by broadcast channels i do have a little bit of knowledge that icc tv the user interface is getting a slight shuffle and that's being done largely outside of the actual icc so their clients are addressing some of that but having seen some of the 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 testing pages and, and stuff like that there will be improvements and i have it on pretty good authority that they'll be looking to try and fill their library not only with full matches but a range of different length highlight packages to kind of accommodate what each user wants from that um i don't know how long that will take i know that the people power behind that is it's a pretty it's actually a pretty small operation outside of the icc so i don't know how long it would take but there have been movements and i think the next step from a broadcast standpoint is that the boards who will sell their tv rights to their own countries and to other parts of the world if they can't agree on broadcast rights in specific parts of the world then they offer it to icc tv and then i think it comes from the board how much is charged for those items so again i don't know if you'll you'll be able to to buy a blanket subscription for all of the cricket that that comes through that 
or you've got to pay through it individually. It's yet to be seen. But yeah, I think it's just the start of what the ICC TV plan is. And then it comes back to the relationship of, well, what's the stream scenario like in a place like Zimbabwe? And how can they run that tournament while trying to push out this new product? Because I think we've seen it everywhere else. And this is not me trying to be an apologist for for the ICC, but we've seen every streaming service that has existed for live sport have multiple teething issues. I mean, from an Australian standpoint, Optusport was woeful to begin with. KO has a few issues that it needs to iron out as well. So maybe ICTV is just another example of that. I'm not too sure. But yeah, you would think that this is kind of just the start of what ICTV could be. And then the other fallout from all of that is, well, if the ICC make more money from this, how is it redistributed to the boards? And what's the relationship, one, to the board that gives them the, the, the rights to broadcast this cricket to other parts of the world? And how does that work in terms of an overall global outlook on the game? Because if I'm an associate board, I would love to be able to say, look, ICC TV, I want to put our international games Granted, all the pathway stuff is already on ICC TV, but say we have a bilateral series for whatever reason, and we chuck it up and people can buy it for two US dollars, right? That's so much better than it just being on a YouTube stream for nothing. The problem that would then come after that is, well, how much of that money goes into the ICC's pocket? How much money goes into the board's pocket? And then as another result of that, how much of that money from the ICC goes back into sort of this global pot? Because, I mean, we we know how the money is distributed in the world of cricket. It's no secret. You don't need to be a genius to know what's going on. How can associate boards leverage that idea and make it worth their while? That's a big question that will need to be answered over probably the next 18 months to two years for ICC TV to work and also the board's relationship with the ICC be better than what it is at the moment. We've run out of time on the 50-minute edition of this program. We do have an extended 90-minute version for our Patreon subscribers. So if you are one of those, make sure to listen to that. Or if you want to sign up to Patreon, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket to keep up with news and events from the game's new world. Make sure to follow Emerging Cricket wherever you are on social media and across our listening platforms. But for now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, we'll see you next week. Yeah!